and this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 19 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm excited. You know, this is one of those weeks that we have quite a bit that we could talk about, you know, from uh, the Missouri Valley side. Uh, I think the biggest news overall is the retirement of uh, Doug Elgin, commissioner for many, many years. And they wasted no time. I saw on the NCAA.org uh, website the very next day they already had, they were taking resumes already for the, the next commissioner. So those would be big shoes to fill. Uh, you know, there's no secret that he really helped elevate the league in the the 90s and early 2000s, but there are some that think maybe it's time for some fresh blood, some new ideas. Uh, the passing of Gail Sayers, the yeah. uh, Chicago Bears great, who was SIU athletic director for five years back in the late 70s, early 80s. And then, of course, uh, for our purposes, the Missouri Valley Conference <laughs> schedule came out. And I'm really excited. I'm putting together my spreadsheets. I'm in nerd heaven. And hopefully we'll have something to talk about next week and after I get a chance to put those together and get a really good look at it. So how about things on your end? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, as you said, the Missouri Valley schedules came out. And, I mean, that's big. That just shows that we're each step is going in the right direction. And hopefully – you know, the Ohio Valley will will soon follow suit. And, I mean, as everything that we have seen, college basketball will start late November. And don't look now, but that's less than two months away. And, I mean, it's quickly approaching. Yeah, I'm checking multiple times per day to see if the other Missouri Valley schools have put out their non-conference schedule. Like trying to just, I just want the, want the information, just want the data. Yep. Soak it all up. And it's just, it feels like a real free for all right now, especially if you're seeing these tournaments get canceled. I saw Northern Iowa's tournament uh, got canceled because all those teams backed out as the, the Cayman Islands classic. And you're seeing some of that just because of the timing of it. And do we want to take our kids that far from campus this time of year with everything going on? Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, as you're interested and I'm interested in the OVC MVC getting their non-conference schedules released. It's probably going to be a while, mm -hmm. you know, because though their conference non-conference matchups aren't going to get finalized until everyone knows what the power five is going to do because right. the power five non-conference scheduling has a lot of say in what these mid majors do. Cause if there's, you know, some money games available that completely turns a schedule around if it's not available, now you're trying to schedule for some maybe lower mid-major schools or, you know, just some mid-majors that are, you know, basically it's an even match. Right. Yeah, it's definitely you're seeing news about some of the conference schedules from the Power Five start to creep into December, and that's definitely not good news for the conferences that we cheer for because that gives you less time to get those done and how much are they spreading them out in case they have to miss games because of covid and stuff like that i mean the mvc schedule at a glance looks like it always does it doesn't there's no real changes because sure. it's true round robin we're gonna play everybody twice home and home so it's pretty simple from that perspective but it'll be interesting and you know uh, saw quotes from doug elgin saying that you know we can't afford to not have a national tournament again it's just now it's not feasible well they've they lost so much money on it and yeah, you've, college football's been doing fine right now, but which obviously has a lot of say in a lot of the programs in right. college sports. But when you look at college basketball, yeah, it might not be the biggest revenue maker compared to college football, but March Madness is no 
you know, small penny. They make a lot of dollars off that. And there's no secret that men's basketball is number two behind football. Exactly. And then it's everybody else. I mean, there are a few schools where women's basketball will bring in some money, but those other sports just aren't doing it. Exactly. But we're going to get into most of the scheduling uh, in next week's episode. We have Coach A.W. Hamilton on this week. He's the head basketball coach at Eastern Kentucky. Uh, looking forward to the interview. Yeah, he's TJ. got a story to tell, you know, and just in you know, the the thing, the success he's had there and then uh, his own personal story that he would like to share with us as well. Yeah, so we're looking forward to it, and uh, we'll go ahead and bring you that interview. And we are joined by Coach A.W. Hamilton, head basketball coach at Eastern Kentucky. Coach Hamilton, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, thanks for doing this, Coach. I'll... Uh, just starting out with your coaching career a little bit before you make your way to Eastern Kentucky as head coach. Your head coach at Hargrave Military Academy, a very established program, and you were there yourself as a player. You get some outstanding players there like Terry Rogier and Montrez Harrell. What was it like coaching players at that level so early on? You know, it was an incredible experience because, listen, I, I, a, I went to Scott County High School. Um, I was a pretty good high school player. I, I didn't take my academics serious enough, and I ended up having to. I wasn't qualified, so I ended up having to do a prep year at Hargrave Military Academy. So, you know, I went there as a student, and what it did for me is I had a chance to, you know, grow up and get bigger and stronger. But I, you know what? I learned how to learn, and I learned the value of my education. And, and I was able to go off to, you know, Wake Forest and then finish my, my career at Marshall. And when I got a, had a chance to go back as a, as a coach, um, I believed in the process. I believed that, you know, our kids would come in as, you know, big kids and they would leave young men. And, uh, you know, so I, I really enjoyed the process there. I think, you know, the model there, you know, developing the whole person, uh, it was more than just about basketball. It was, it was, it was building the whole person. And, you know, we had the, the number one character development school in the country. And, um, you know, and then, listen, I can talk about the players all day long. I had Terry Rozier, Montrezl Harrell. And when you have guys like that, i tell you what it does, guys. It makes all your plays look really good. So <laughs> when you run a high ball screen with Montrezl Harrell and he's rolling, you got your, your play looks really good. You look like a genius. And then I have Terry Rozier the following year. So, you know, we had a bunch of uh, outstanding players. I got, you know, a kid that I coached my last year there, Najee Marshall. He's a projected second-round pick. And I got a couple of my hard-grade kids with me at, at, at uh, Eastern Kentucky. So, listen, I'm really proud of Hargrave Military Academy. I'm really proud to be part of that program. I'm proud to be an alum and uh, extremely proud to have the opportunity to coach there. So you get a call and get an assistant job at North Carolina State. After one year, you end up at Eastern Kentucky. What was it that made the Eastern Kentucky job stand out to you? You know, so I'm a kid. I grew up in, in Georgetown, Kentucky, 40 minutes away, um, you know, and, and really proud uh, uh, to be a Kentuckian, you know. And, you know, one of the things about Kentucky is, you know, a, a lot of the talent in this state goes unseen. And, you know, sometimes kids fly underneath the radar. So I, I growing up, you know, Roy Kidd was the football coach at Eastern Kentucky. Travis Ford was the basketball coach. I mean, two, two elite people. And I always knew how special Eastern was. 
And my brother went to Eastern, you know, long time ago. He's a, he's older than me. And I remember when we would take him to college and drop him off and all that stuff. And, you know, and then when I went back and uh, interviewed there, I was blown away by all the things that, that they have done to campus. Look, we've done $300 million worth of student life enhancements. You know, we got new dorms, new dining facilities, uh, new rec center, restaurants all over campus. I mean, it is a happening place. So, you know, I go back, I interview, um, you know, I, you know, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to come back home. Um, but then when I met with the administration, um, I saw all the things they were doing and they had done and then the vision they had for the future. Uh, it was a no brainer for me. So what was the transition like going from coaching at the high school level to two years later, you're a head coach. I mean, that learning curve had to be pretty steep for you. Yeah. So here's, here's the unique thing about Hargrave guys. So at Hargrave, you play all college rules, two 20 minute halves with the shot clock on a college size four. And here's the unique thing, you know, at Hargrave, we averaged 11 division one signees a year. Uh, 95% of all the guys that we ever had in the program got a Division One or Division Two scholarship. So uh, when you're at Hargrave, you're coaching a college team. Now, what you what you are, though, is you're like a college freshman team. Nobody's got any experience. And uh, so it kind of gave me some experience kind of coaching the college game, um, you know, coaching the two 20-minute halves with the shot clock, playing against, you know, elite competition. We played college uh, JV teams, junior colleges, and then national prep schools. So, you know, the transition, um, you know, like, you know, if anybody tells you it's easy, it's never easy. Uh, but, it, you know, I had some experience coaching college, so it, it did kind of give me a little bit of a head start there. So you get your first win at Eastern Kentucky, or in general in the college ranks, which was against Chattanooga. Nick Mayo scored 40 points in the game. Take us through that game. What were your emotions like during the game, and what were your emotions at the end of the game? So our, my first game, Marshall, they beat us like a drum, guys. First game, uh, my first game in college, we're playing Marshall University. I played at Marshall. Uh, the fans are excited. We have the biggest crowd in, in a decade at Eastern Kentucky, and Marshall beats us by like 28 points. They just absolutely kill us. And then, you know, that Saturday we have to go to Chattanooga. Um, you know, what we didn't have, we didn't, our, we didn't know how to win. You know, we just didn't know how to win. There had been so much disappointment uh, the couple years prior to me coming. And uh, so we're down most of the game. And, and the last, like, 10 minutes, Nick Mayo scores, like, 27 points and, and just <laughs> takes over the game. We make a late comeback. We end up winning. Um, but just to see those kids that had been in the program, uh, we get in the locker room. We're throwing water on each other. We're jumping up and down, hugging, pushing each other. I mean, having a great time. You would have thought we won the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> but it was it was, it was was magical, guys, because, look, we have great kids, and I'm so proud of them. And Nick Mayo, he's arguably one of the, you know, the best players to ever play in this program. And to see him, what he did his senior year. Listen, I get to Eastern Kentucky. I sit down with Nick Mayo. I said, look, you should transfer. Uh, it, it, you know, this, it, this is why I think you should transfer. Because you can't average 18 points a game. And I said, you can't weigh 215 pounds. I said, you can't do it. I said, but if you don't want to get to 240 pounds and you don't want to try to average 25 points a game, you probably should leave. And he's like, well, coach, I do want to play in the NBA. I would like to do all that. I said, man, would you, 
you know, you got to live here all summer and we got to live in the weight room. And just to watch what he did, he got up to like 245 pounds. He averages 24 points a game. He becomes EKU's all-time leading scorer. He scores 2,000 points. Um, listen, we had a rough year, um, but we had a lot, lot of great moments. And, and that first team, you know, what we had to do when we got here is we had to establish a, a brand and we had to have an identity. I think any great company, any great organization, they got an identity and they got a brand. You know, and our brand is the most exciting 40 minutes in sports. And our identity is we play really fast and we press for 40 minutes. And when I get here, we, we put that brand in and that identity. And we got those kids got an unbelievable shape and we pressed like crazy. We, and we ended up finishing 13th in the country in scoring, second in the country in steals per game and forced turnover. So they helped this program really turn the corner. Now, not all wins and losses, but just the style of play and how hard we were going to play. Now you had you mentioned Nick Mayo, and obviously you had a lot of good athletes on the team. But what was it coming into Eastern Kentucky and coaching a guy like Nick Mayo, who you knew had talent, but with some guidance he could get a lot better? And you made him into a premier player in the Ohio Valley, who is now playing overseas. Yeah, look, uh, you guys, I could talk about Nick Mayo all day. Look, one of the best young people that I've ever been around. Uh, he was a, the legitimate. He is the, if you ever like opened up the, the dictionary and you looked up the, an everyday guy, they're going to have a picture of Nick Mayo. I mean, he punched the clock every day, you know, practiced hard, lifted hard, conditioned hard, was over a 3.0 student. Um, he was a special kid. And look, he's overseas in Japan. He's making a bunch of money, you know, probably could have stuck around in the G League, but he decided to go overseas. And, you know, he's a, he's one of those guys and he's a once in a lifetime player you know like uh, Montrez Harrell is a once in a lifetime player Terry Rozier once in a lifetime players Nick Mayo is a once in a lifetime player so explain to us how important it is to have a guy like Nick Mayo that sounds like he's just setting the the lead by example like he's the guy out there like you said he's punching the clock he's doing all the extra work how much of a boost was that for your program at Eastern Kentucky well, and you know the, the old saying, guys, when your best player is your hardest worker, um, you got a chance. And that's what he is. And, uh, look, he, when I got here, he could have easily left and went to another school. Look, you guys, you know how it is now. You can transfer. You can get a waiver. You can play right away. And, uh, you know, and he chose to stay here. And the thing that I loved about Nick so much is he really loved Eastern Kentucky. Like, he really loves Eastern Kentucky. Like, he's proud of uh, the university. He's he was proud to be part of Richmond, Kentucky. Look, he comes back in the summertime. He came back this summer and spent a, a month with us. And, you know, I, I really admire that. He he really appreciated the people, the university, the administration. Um, you know, he was so loved by everybody because he's such a great person. So, yeah, you you can't find too many guys like him. So you talked about your up and down uh, tempo that you've established here at Eastern Kentucky. That first season. You guys scored 87 points in one half. I can't imagine what that would have been like to be on the bench for that game. Can you take us through that? <laughs> Listen, I don't know how it happened. Listen, we had a kid, uh, Houston King, that hit six threes in the second half. Uh, and listen, uh, we, we could try forever. Look, I was at Hargrave. We scored 95 and a half, uh, and it's just mind-blowing. But look, what I, what I do, guys, look, I empower the kids. You know, we get in unbelievable shape. 
I, I you know, we're going to press and we're going to play really hard on defense. We're going to dive after every loose ball. We're going to trap. We're going to run. And then look on offense, I give them space and, and I let them play. And I, I want them to have fun. They never have to look over their shoulder and say, oh, gosh, I, I took a shot that coach may not like. Yeah, I may not like it, but I, I live with those sometimes as long as they're giving me everything they got on the defensive end. So, you know, I let these kids play loose and play free and have fun playing with each other. And um, and when you do that and you play up tempo like we do, you know, we're top two, three in the country in tempo every year. You know, things like that happen. You're going to catch fire and you're going to put up a, you know, have a big half. You're going to go on a big scoring run. And, you know, look, every coach, you know, uh, well, I'm not going to say every coach, but most coaches say that they sit down with a recruit and say, look, we play up tempo. We're going to press. We're going to run. We're going to shoot a bunch of threes. But like we really do that here. And, you know, I'm really proud of it. And, and that's the style I've always played and how, you know, uh, I love to coach. So, you know, and the kids love playing that way. So, you know, they love the freedom they get on offense. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we can break that uh, th- that record at some point this year. Well, I think it's pretty obvious when you watch, you know, OVC games, uh, especially like in the conference tournament, I mean, your, your team is just more conditioned than any other team. Like, you got other teams making subs not too far into the game, and you only have to go like five to eight players deep, and it, it takes a while for you to make a sub because your guys are so in shape. Yeah, and listen, listen so they take pride in that. Like the team we had last year, you know, we would be late in the game, you know, six, seven minutes to go. Uh, we'd be in timeouts, and they, they would be, you know, they'd be talking to each other and talking to me, and they'd be like, Coach, they're worn out. They're worn out. These guys are tired. Let's get them now. Let's get them now. And, you know, so the kids take pride in that. They take pride in being the best conditioned team in the country. And um, and it shows on the court. And, you know, they, and they make me look good. I'm really proud of these guys. We got we have a special group, guys. I mean, look, we get off into a 9-2 and two start in OVC, OVC play, best start in 41 years. Um, we got down. We got to a point last season where we had eight scholarship guys healthy. And, listen, the way we played, you'd have thought we had 13. I mean, those eight guys, I, I've never been around a group of guys that were in better better shape than those guys. I mean, their conditioning was unbelievable. Well, with, with the conditioning your guys go through, it really makes a game against Belmont fun to watch. With your up-tempo offense and the way Belmont shoots threes, I mean, it's a it's a track meet out there. Yeah, and listen, it's, it hasn't gone well for us against Belmont, though. <laughs> they've been... They've been really good, you know. Coach Bird, Casey, they've they've done an unbelievable job. So, you know, they uh, them and Murray State, Austin Pity, you know, this is a tough league we're in, um, you know. And look, no matter how you play, what you do, you got to have good players and, and good people in your program. And we're we're at the point now we feel like that we got all the pieces that we need that we can really move the needle some more. So we're excited about you know the future of our program. So last year you led the Colonels to a 9-2 and two start in the Ohio Valley and eventually wound up with the fourth seat in the OVC tournament. With the turnaround the team had, you earned OVC Coach of the Year. What does that mean to you to be recognized with that award? You know, it's funny because, you know, during my career I've been Coach of the Year a few times. And, you know, when you really sit back and think about being Coach of the Year, it's never about me. It's never really about the coach. It's about the people that you have in the organization. You know, the players, the assistant coaches, the support staff, the managers, um, the academic support staff. 
that's what it's about. That's how you win an award like that. Uh, uh, the Coach of the Year Award, uh, you know, it's funny because I've never thought of it as an individual award. You know, it's really a team award. So, you know, it's a heck of an honor because we got great teams and we got great, you know, coaches in our league in the LBC. Uh, so I, I was extremely proud um, of our players um, and all the people in our organization at Eastern Kentucky because it was more about them than it was about me. I, listen, I didn't make one shot. I didn't get one rebound. I didn't make get one assist, one steal. Uh, those kids, they laid their hearts on the line every game. Uh, they were great student athletes. Um, our, our trainers, our, our staff, our managers, all those, all those people in the organization make an award like that possible. So what was it like getting to compete in the OVC tournament? Obviously the goal is to win it, but you guys go in shorthanded this year. So how did that kind of change your game plan, playing a few games in a few days? So, listen, us making it to the OVC tournament was really important for our program. Now, we don't want to be the program that that's what we do and that's that's it, you know, making it to the OVC tournament. We hadn't made it to the OVC tournament in five years. And we, they, we hadn't won an OVC tournament game since 2014. So, you know, going into that game versus Tennessee State, look, we weren't going to play any different. We were going to press for 40 minutes. We were going to play, you know, fast, and we were going to get up and down. We were never worried about the next game. Uh, we wanted to beat Tennessee State. And then, you know, we didn't want to lose to Belmont, and we didn't feel like we ran out of gas. But it was so important for our program to make it to the OVC tournament it was the first time since 2015, and then win a game, which was the first time since 2014. So it was a, it was a step in the right direction for us, um, you know. And now, as we continue to go forward, now you know things become different, you know, because we don't. Our expectation is just not to make it to the OBC tournament. That's not what our goal is, you know. We want to have a shot to win the OBC tournament. So it was a good step for our program. I was excited for our guys. Um, and now, you know, as we look forward, we're, we're really excited about where what the direction of the program is. So you had a good step last year making it to the Ohio Valley Tournament. And you look at the upcoming campaign and you have all the all the COVID restrictions, you know, within the last few months. Hopefully the restrictions will start to, you know, diminish here and things will slowly get back to normal. But what is the outlook for the team this year? You know what? We, we got a very talented group. Uh, we got a very deep group. And when I got here, you know, we had to play a lot of young people. You know, we started Jamal Brown as a freshman, Trey King as a freshman. Um, and both of those guys have been tremendous. Jamal Brown's first team all-conference last year, Trey King's second team all-conference. And now those guys are juniors. They wake up, now they're juniors. Now we're not so young anymore. We started Michael Marino last year as a freshman. Now he's a sophomore. Now we got seniors in the program, Jacquez Hobbs, uh, Rashad uh, Crookshank. And so we got all these pieces, and then we've got to a, a point that we could build around the core group of our guys. So we have another great recruiting class. We got Cooper Robb, Brandon Napper, Wendell Green Jr., Tay-Tay Blanton, and Sheck Fay. So we bring in five guys who are extremely talented. They're all winners. They come from winning programs. So now they join a program that just got off you know, came off one of the best seasons in school history in the OBC play. We won 12 games. It's the second most in, in Eastern Kentucky history. So now we put five winners into the group of guys that are now winners. And so, you know, our practices are more competitive. 
We got, you know, guys competing for minutes. And so, you know, when, when you have that, you know, you really put yourself in position to do something special. So, you know, again, I, I couldn't be more excited about this group. It, it's funny, you know, we're all under this, you know, the COVID-19 and, you know, we got to do the best we can and, and everything possible to keep these kids safe. So hopefully things do clear up and we can have somewhat of a, a normal season. So with all those COVID restrictions, and it feels like it's kind of been a, a free-for-all, so to speak, with trying to get your non-conference schedule set up, what's the process been for you guys in trying to find games before the conference play starts? Guys, this is this is the hardest uh, scheduling job of my career. I've never went through anything like this. Listen, I feel like when the NCAA said, okay, your start dates November 25th, uh, it was almost like our, our schedule. We should have just ripped it up, thrown it in the trash can and started over. That's what it feels like. I feel like I'm in the, you know, the early summer still trying to put this schedule together. Like I, I couldn't even tell you, uh, the games that we're going to have, we lost so many games and now there's all the confusion about the MTEs and now the, all the confusion of when's conference play going to start. Are you going to play more games? So, you know, I hope in the next seven to 10 days, uh, things clear up and we can really, you know, kind of put our schedule together. How much of this is waiting for the Ohio Valley schedule to come out? You know, and we really can't do much without them, you know, and, you know, I, I think they'll give us some clarification this week because, look, we're like every league. You, you know, you sit back and you say, okay, you know, normally we play 18 games. And then you say, should we play 20? Should we play 22 and just everybody plays each other twice, you know? And so then if you do that, then you got to figure out how do you get those games in? What do you move around? You got to have to start before, you know, before Christmas and you have to start in December. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is a hard time to be a commissioner. This is a hard time to be, you know, somebody that uh, does scheduling. So it, uh, but it'll all clear up guys. Uh, you know how it is. It, everything always works out. So, uh, you know, I, again, you know, within the seven, 10 day window, I think we'll have a, you know, a much clearer view of what the schedule looks like. So when you when you look at the scheduling and maybe just your opinion, how much do you think right now trying to get a schedule out there has to do with waiting on seeing what like the power five conferences are doing? Because obviously, you know, mid-major programs like the Missouri Valley, Ohio Valley and others, you know, you want to try and get those those buy games, if you will, get some money for, you know, the program. And so you would you want to try and get some of them big games on the schedule to try and help boost the, uh, you know, profits inside of that program. Yeah, no question. Look, you hit it right on the head. And then think about this, guys. What if you're in a place where normally you give a team like Eastern Kentucky $80,000 to come play, but now you're in a place where you can't have fans. So then how do you, how do you justify paying a team 80,000? So then you say, okay, do you pay him 50? Do you pay him 40? Do you pay him 30? So, you know, everybody's got, uh, you know, you know, uh, a big hill to climb in this scheduling effort because then, then you look at all the MTEs and, you know, the Battle of Atlantis is going to South Dakota and then, you know, teams are getting out of MTEs or going to different MTEs. Now teams are starting their own MTEs. So uh, there's just a lot of moving parts. And, you know, and unfortunately, it's, it's we're just in a crazy year. So it'll be – I'll be anxious when everybody does get done with their schedule. I like to come back on the show and let's talk about everybody's schedule because it'll be unlike any other year. So what has been your favorite memory thus far coaching at Eastern Kentucky? You know, I, 
that's that's a tough one, guys. I, I, there's been so many great memories, and you know, coaching Nick Mayo, watching him hit the uh, buzzer beater against High Point and Northern Kentucky. I mean, those were magical uh, moments, and um, you know, this past year, watching this team go through so much adversity and then face adversity, overcome it, and just go on this magical run in, in OVC play, get back to the OVC tournament and, you know, win it, win an OVC tournament game. Um, but, look, you know, guys, I'm at home. I'm at home. I, I see my parents once once or twice a week. My wife is from northern Kentucky. Um, you know, my two older brothers live in Georgetown, Kentucky. My, my sister, I, her husband is, you know, he's, He's one of my assistant coaches. So my kids are growing up with their cousins and, you know, I, I'm around my family, you know, in this, in this business, it's hard to be around your family. Um, so, you know, this is a special place to be. Uh, you know, I, I love Richmond, Kentucky. My wife's the cheerleading coach. My kids come to every game. Um, you know, I love my players. I love our, my staff, uh, our administration, our president, athletic director. I could go on and on guys. It's hard to pinpoint one, one memory and, you know, getting this job, you know, maybe it was just getting the job, guys. You know, it's hard to get a Division One head coaching job. You know, it's been my goal since, you know, I was, you know, in the ninth, tenth grade to be, become a Division One head coach. And, you know, to get the job was, you know, an incredible experience. So, you know, that's a tough question. But, look, I'm in a, I'm in a great place. Uh, my family loves it here. Um, I'm coaching at home, and I'm coaching the program that, you know, we got great people in the program. I'm coaching at a university that, it, it wants to be at it, you know, continue to strive to be better. We don't want to stay the same. You know, we got, you know, and you look around our campus, but $300 million in renovations in 40 months, that's a lot. That's a lot. And they want to keep doing more. So, you know, it's an honor to be the coach here. So speaking of Richmond, have you found a favorite place to eat there or a particular place when you're on the road in the Ohio Valley? And if you do have that suggestion, what should we order when we get there? Well, listen. When you guys come to town, I'm gonna take you to Gillum's. Okay. It's a local uh, local spot here in Richmond. They got an unbelievable menu, um, you know. And uh, we're gonna eat the pizza there. You guys will absolutely love it. They have buffalo chicken pizza there. That's my that's my go to. Listen, we got we got it all. I'm telling you, when you come here, you you guys will end up coming to two or three games a year once you eat at this place. That sounds good. Big pizza guy, so I'll uh, take you up on that. <laughs> So that'll kind of wrap up the basketball side of things. But Coach Hamilton, you're a you're a very humble coach, and yourself have faced some adversity here earlier in the year, and and overcame a pretty remarkable uh, uh, story, if you will. And I know you were you wanted to share some of some of the things that happened to you earlier on in the year. So we'll just kind of open it up uh, to you. Yeah. So listen. Uh... You know, this summer, um, my brother-in-law, who's one of my assistant coaches, he and I played at Wake Forest together. Uh, one of my best friends, one, one of the healthiest guys I've, I've been around. You know, I'm the type of guy that I drink two or three cups of coffee in the morning. I'll drink a Mountain Dew at lunch. And, you know, he's the type of guy. He would, he, he probably hadn't drank a soda in 15 years. And, you know, he's, he's 40 years old. I'm 39. Well, he has a stroke this summer. And, um, you know, I was in shock. And, uh, the day he had a stroke, I, I called my family doctor in Georgetown, Kentucky, and I set up a physical. Guys, I hadn't had a physical done since 2004. And uh, I go in for the physical, 
um, you know, we do the blood work. We do all the things you do at, at a physical. And then, listen, I had this little mole on the back of my ear. Like, you know, I, I cut my own hair, so I see it, but it's on the back of my ear, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, never had any issues with it, just a normal mole. And I saw my doctor, and he said, yeah, let's get that cut off. I'm going to let the dermatologist do it. So he sends me over to the dermatologist. He, he uh, you know, he looks at it. He cuts it off, and he said, look, this is probably nothing. He said, you know, it's, you know, we'll run a biopsy on it, but I'll call you. But he said, this is probably nothing. Well, the next week, uh, on the next Tuesday, he calls me and says, listen, I'm shocked to tell you this. And, um, you know, you got stage two melanoma at least. He said, uh, that mole was a lot deeper and rooted in your ear than I, than I imagined. And, you know, I'm surprised to be telling you this. I, this is, uh, you know, shocks me. And he said, we got to get you to the oncologist right away. And uh, I was, you know, I just froze up. You know, I had a, you know, cousin who died, uh, who had melanoma, who died when he was 13 years old. And, um, you know, I, I was scared. I had no idea what was going on. I go see the oncologist and he said, uh, you know, I said, well, what's the best case, you know, in my situation? What's the best case? What's the worst case? And he said, best case, you're going to have a major surgery. We're going to have to remove this tumor. And um, then you're going to see me quite often for a long time. And he said, you know, worst case, you could end up in a box in six months. He said, uh, you know, melanoma is one of the uh, most unpredictable cancers you can have. This thing could be spread all over your body. And I said, well, doc, listen, I've had no symptoms. I feel great. I said, I've, I've got all this energy. Um, you know, I work out. I feel good. I said, he said, look, you, people don't have symptoms sometimes. You know, he said, you, you just don't. He said, you know, you're lucky that you, you've, you've caught this at stage two. And he said, we're going to have to do a you know, major surgery. We're going to have to take your lymph nodes out of your neck. Um, and then we're going to have to see if we can get this before, you know, before it gets worse. And, you know, I have a major surgery. Um, I have no feeling in my right ear anymore. I'll never have feeling in my right ear. The right side of my face is completely numb. I got a five-inch incision on my neck. They had to remove both, both lymph nodes. Um, but I'll tell you this, guys, right, you know, I was fortunate and they got it. And, um, you know, I, I'm cancer-free right now. And um, But, look, I, I would have never caught this if my brother-in-law doesn't have a stroke. I would have never went and got a physical. I would have never went to the dermatologist. So, you know, my message is to anybody listening is, you know, every year take time to go get a physical. Every year uh, take time. If you have moles or anything like that, go see the dermatologist. Look, sometimes your body is not going to tell you something is wrong, and you got to get looked at. And if I didn't do that, guys, and I caught this at stage three, stage four, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if I would have made it. And look, I, I'm 39 years old. I'm just getting started. I got to, you know, my wife and I, we have three kids, six, four, and one. Um, I got three $1 million checks in my mirror for all my kids when they turn 18 years old. I got all these big goals that I want to accomplish. Um, and going through this, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty because, you know, I have the surgery. You know, then they got to send the, you know, everything they find off to the lab to see if the cancer spread, if they got all the cancer cells. And there was a lot of unknown. There was a, there was a, you know, a, you know, 10 day window uh, before I got any results back. Well, I had no, no idea what was going to happen. So uh, anybody listening, look, life happens so fast. And I understand I'm in the, a crazy profession where it's recruiting and games and practice and, you know, it just never stops. Uh, but I would tell anybody listening, slow down, go get a physical, go to the dermatologist, make sure you take care of yourself. And look, you got to catch things before your body even tells you something's wrong. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a really great message. I know I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm a little bit older than you, and it's just one of those things that uh, you think about a physical that you 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 try to tell yourself there's always going to be time, and you know at some point there won't be. So, you know, I appreciate your your message yeah. and you sharing your story with us, Coach, and really happy for you that uh, you've persevered so far. No, listen, um, God is great, and He's got a plan for all of us. And you know, when I was at my my worst moment going through this cancer, you know, I, I called my mom and I said, listen, am I going to be okay? And she said, a hundred percent, you're going to be okay. God has a bigger plan for you. So, you know, I had to kind of quit feeling sorry for myself and, and attack this and, you know, and, uh, you know, but again, I can't tell people enough, you know, slow down, go, go to the dermatologist, go get a physical, uh, catch, catch anything that could be wrong with you before your body tells you. Well, it's it's remarkable what what you went what you overcame after what you went through, and just glad to hear that it's all in the past, and uh, hopefully everything going forward will, you know, you'll continue to be healthy and you'll be able to lead Eastern Kentucky to uh, great success on and off the court. Well, listen, guys, I, I appreciate you guys having me on, and listen, I'm telling you, come down here, come on, come to a game. I'll take you to Gillen's. We'll have a great time. Y'all come hang out with us. And I'd love to show you around campus and show you around Richmond, Kentucky. And you guys will be blown away. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to hold you to that, Coach. <laughs> we really appreciate you uh, coming on, Coach Hamilton. And uh, best of luck to uh, Eastern Kentucky this year and the rest of your uh, coaching you know, endeavors down the road. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Coach. Yeah. Thank you. So that was our interview with uh, Coach Hamilton from earlier this week. And I know TJ, I was very excited to have him on just as we had uh, previously with Coach uh, Harper. It's a current coach. Right. Got a nice outlook at the upcoming season. But not only that, just hearing about his, uh, you know, complications that he has overcame health-wise just recently. Right. I, I think two things come out of that. I'm ready to get a physical and then move to Richmond, Kentucky. I mean, the, the man loves the town. And it just sounds like they've made themselves part of the fabric there and i hope things work out for him yeah he he seems like a he's a very humble coach and absolutely and i just hope nothing but you know great success comes out of uh the teams he coaches you know right down the road yep definitely seems like a guy it's easy to cheer for oh absolutely so so we uh finally have the nba final set it seems like it's taken forever we got <laughs> LeBron and the Lakers taking on his former team, the Miami Heat, which is kind of a surprise to me, taking you know beating the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. You got a winner? Oh, I know you don't want to cheer for the Lakers, and it doesn't mean just because you think they're going to win doesn't mean that you're cheering for them. I really think the Lakers are going to win. I'm just not a big Los Angeles fan, just strictly because the Rams are now in Los Angeles, right? Which, yeah. Somebody's probably like, well, why don't you just get over it? That's fine. Fair enough. But that's just how I am. You know, we had family had season tickets for the Rams every year. They were in St. Louis, so it kind of hurt to see them go. And, you know, I don't wish bad bad things to happen to the players on the team. I just would rather see a different city win. Yeah. You would have been okay with them losing in the Western Conference Finals. Yes. Hey, you had a pretty good season. Just didn't get there. Yeah. It's all right. That's fine. You know, you may LeBron may have had a great game, you know. But right. You know, hope good things happen for the players on each team, but just, you know, 
fall short. Yeah, I think the the Nuggets kind of ran out of magic after coming back from three one deficits twice already, and kind of maybe relied on it and just you know, a little too much talent. I think on the Lakers side, I think the Lakers are going to win too. I I say Lakers in six, but that's not a very uh, it won't be a very pick. it won't be a very exciting series if it's in. Well, I guess in six. I was thinking the other way. Yeah, I mean, you know. The Heat kind of surprised surprised me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not think they would get to the finals, but uh, Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. uh, been real impressed seeing what he's been able to do with the Heat since uh, he came over from what was it Minnesota. Yeah, he seems like a guy that just keeps kind of getting reborn again and again. Just when you're ready, it's like, well, maybe he's kind of run his his career's run its course, and he has another resurgence. So you know, happy for him too. It's always cool to see those guys kind of be able to find that magic again or find a new spot that they things work for them well and he's one of those players that just stuck out while he was in college playing at marquette Mm -hmm. and seeing the success he had at marquette you just knew once he got to the nba he was going to run with it and you know yeah he's had some uh some people think that he's had some uh hasn't lived up to expectations at times, but that that happens to a lot of players. Right. You know, high expectations, the bar's set high, and sometimes, you know, the individual falls short. But I I think he's had an outstanding career in the NBA, and you know, it'd be great to see him uh, get a title. Yep. And we have baseball playoffs starting. The Cardinals were able to to get in, which I really didn't expect was going to happen. I just thought if they could get through the season with everybody healthy, I I really didn't have any dreams or. Uh, belief that they would make the playoffs after that. I mean, but you got you to think about Mike Schilt, 17 days off. Oh, yeah. And they played, what was it, 55 games in like 48 days or something ridiculous like that? Well, and that's the thing. And I'll be the first one to tell you, you know, you know, I watch basically every Cardinal game, you know, when it's televised. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I, I am critical at times. I mean, I, I'm around baseball a lot. But sometimes you just got to stop and think. It's like, okay, maybe being too critical. But at the same time, you, you back up and rethink and look at, you know, how everything's been laid out. Nobody's ever played that many games in that many days. Or obviously, there's never been this many doubleheaders. Right. But to play that many doubleheaders was like 10, 11, or 12 in 50 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, it... it It'll put some wear and tear on you, and yep. they had to they had to shuffle some uh, pieces around back right. and forth through the minors. I couldn't tell you how many players made the made a, an appearance in a game this year right. for St. Louis, but at the same time, uh, I I keep hoping at the back of my head Marcel Zuna will be back on the Cardinals next yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, I heard something the other day. Was it there are three Atlanta Braves in the top five in OPS? Like, holy It's incredible. Yep. I think you take into account that the Cardinals didn't have their closer. Yep. And didn't have the guy who I kind of think is their ace in Miles Michaelis. Yep, he was hurt. You know, Jack Flaherty obviously kind of emerged, and, you know, Wainwright had a, a resurgence. But, you know, that that's that's a heck of a job. And uh, happy to see Luke Voigt doing so well Yeah. for the Yankees, you know. And then I always kind of cheer for the, the Rays, the little guys that, you know, are finding a way to do it differently. And the Marlins got in, too. So yes. It's, uh, you know, with 16 teams, it feels like everybody got in. But at the same time, with everybody's been dealing with these COVID issues. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like, uh, you know, we were talking about earlier that not taking so many days off between games, you're not going to see somebody win it with 
three pitchers. No. Like in the past, you're going to have to have some depth. And, you know, that day where your your starter blows up, you have to have that, that long relief uh, come into a real uh, big impact here. A couple things about the those playoffs. Uh, Don Manley did a great job with the Marlins, getting them to the postseason. And, you know, just like the Cardinals, they had a nice layoff too. Not mm-hmm. as long, but still were uh, without baseball for, you know, multiple days in a row due to the COVID. Um, I also hope that uh, didn't see Wainwright and Molina play their last regular season game as a Cardinal. I hope they're back next year. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine a season without them, even yeah. though obviously before too long, you know, they'll probably retire, but I'd rather them not go to a different team. So hopefully the right. Cardinals will find a way to keep them. And Dark Horse pick, if the White Sox can get some pitching here, uh, they have a stacked offensive lineup. Yeah. And I wouldn't surprise me if the White Sox could win some games just by outslugging. Yeah, between opponents. them and Minnesota, Minnesota's lineup. You're like you, they keep coming. The cats keep coming. Yeah. You know, you think as a, as a pitching staff, you're like, well, you know, we get to this point, we can get some outs. Doesn't happen with those two teams. So no. I think the other thing that's remarkable, as I was checking this morning, the Cardinals and the Tigers are the only two teams that didn't get 60 games in. Yep. I mean, for as crazy as this was, they kind of felt like it really kind of got put together quickly. And then with the chaos with the the Marlins and the Cardinals, most notably, that everybody got in there 60 games except for those two. And they would have played them today had it been necessary. Exactly. So as you said, those two games that weren't played would have been played if they were needed. Mm -hmm. And you think of everything that's happened, all the seven-inning doubleheaders, and to see that only four total games were not played and finalized is pretty incredible. And, those, and really two because it was the two they were supposed to play against sure. each other. So can you imagine what it would have been like for the Tigers? Like, hey, you thought your season was over. You got to come back and play two more games. Like, oh, come on, boss. Like, well, yeah, I guess we're go just, home. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we're just going to see what we got in the minors here yep. and just yep. test, test some stuff out. Well, with that, TJ, that'll wrap up Episode 19 here on View of the Valleys. Again, a special thanks to Coach A.W. Hamilton for taking time to join the show this week. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with episode 20. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.